Well, what's up, guys? We want to say welcome to Young Adults, whether you're in the room, you're joining us online on YouTube, Facebook, Young Adults Live. Man, we're glad that you guys are here tonight as we are continuing in our Philippian series. Jared kicked it off last week, and we're going to be continuing uh, in that uh, tonight. And so we are excited about that. And tonight, what we are going to be talking about is how can you bring God glory, right? How can you bring God glory? Glory, And I don't know about you, but whenever I was a kid, I had some unrealistic dreams. Anybody? It's like, yeah, you can do anything you want if you set your mind to it. And sometimes it's like, well, kind of, sort of, not really. Well, I had this dream, not to disparage anybody, you should have hopes and dreams, all right? But I had this dream that when I was in middle school, like I would lay in bed at night and I would think about this, or I would be in class and I would be like daydreaming. I'm like, man, I cannot wait to be able to dunk a basketball. I was like, there's this uh, massive tournament of champions is what it's called, high school basketball tournament every year in Springfield. It's a big deal, it's one of the biggest ones in the nation and I always thought, man, I'm about to posterize somebody like Vince Carter at the tournament of champions my senior year of high school, all right? And so that was my dream and I was like, that would bring me so much glory, I can't wait to be able to do that. But a couple of problems. I don't know if you can tell, I'm not the tallest person you've ever seen, all right? And so I was out there getting net in middle school, like touching the net. Uh, I never got much further than that, okay? So number one, uh, I I didn't play basketball in high school, so there's a problem. Number two is I can't dunk, okay? So this dream of glory that I had, y'all didn't laugh at that as much as I thought, it was okay. Uh, One time whenever I got done preaching, someone out in the crowd, I don't remember who it was, this guy comes up to me, he goes, man, he goes, I, I thought you were like six foot. And I was like, no, I'm not. Like, and he, like he clearly knew that, right? And I was like, he wasn't trying to hurt my feelings. But um, he, yeah, so it's tough being short, you know what I'm saying? But uh, I, that dream of like my glory, right? That glory that I was like, I'm gonna do that in front of a crowd of people, it never happened, okay? Um, and I think that's a funny example of like how we live for our own personal glory. But the reality is, is that, um, In our culture, in our society, in our world, there's a lot of focus on uh, glorifying ourselves. But I'm here to tell you tonight in 2022, if you will focus on giving God glory, if there is a God in heaven who created you and made you, giving him glory is gonna be the greatest thing that you can do in your life. And so we're gonna be in Philippians chapter one, verses nine through 11 tonight. And I wanna give a little bit of context of what's happening here in the book of Philippians. And why? Because when you're reading God's word, context is key, right? Understanding what is happening helps us to make sense of the text and how we can then apply it to our lives today. And so if you remember last week, Jared talked about this, the book of Philippians is found in the New Testament, right? So in the Bible, we have the Old Testament, the time before Jesus's public ministry. This is the Old Testament. And then we have the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we have the gospel books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we move on to some other books that are like letters to the churches, et cetera. And so at the time of the writing of Philippians, Jesus is already engaged in his earthly ministry. He has been crucified on a cross, buried in a tomb to rise three days later. And then at this point in time, he's basically told the disciples, hey, you're to go and make disciples of all nations. You're, you're following me. Go help other people follow me. That's what he's charged them with. And so he's put them on mission. And now as the early believers in the church, 
church were put on mission, the early disciples, they came up against persecution. And one of the greatest persecutors of the early church was the apostle Paul. You can read about it in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8. Now, Paul is the one who wrote the book of Philippians. And what happened with him, as you can read this in the book of Acts, is he actually had a conversion. This man who was breathing out murderous threats against the church has an interaction with God that changes his life forever, and he actually becomes the, probably the greatest Christian missionary of all time. And we see that much of what we find in the New Testament is from the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to this church at Philippi. Now, Philippi, Philippi was a town that was in Eastern Europe. And so Paul went on these missionary journeys, the one who was persecuting the church, now going and sharing the hope of Jesus. And as he went to Philippi in Eastern Europe, the church started with a jailer who was converted, a former demon-possessed girl, and a woman named Lydia who dealt purple cloth. She was a businesswoman. This is how the church at Philippi started. You can read about this in Acts chapter 16. And then we learn more about the, the city of Philippi as Acts continues, and you can read about that as well. But after Paul has established this church, 10 years later, he writes this letter to the Philippians. Paul at this time is in a prison in Rome, sitting in a prison cell, writing to the letter, this letter to the church at Philippi as a word of encouragement because the Philippian church, they cared for Paul and they were worried about his welfare. And so imagine this, that, that changes the way we read what we read, is that he is writing this to the Philippian people as a word of encouragement. Let's read. It says this in verse nine, and this is Paul's prayer for the people. And we're gonna see from this how we can bring glory and praise to God. It says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and to the praise of God. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through this passage as Paul lays out a very clear roadmap of how you in 2022 can bring God glory in your life. And in verse nine, he starts out with talking about what? He says, my prayer for you is that your love would abound more and more. That's what he starts the prayer with. And one of the things that you need to know is the litmus test. How many of you in here would say, I would love to grow spiritually? Like, that's why I'm here. I want to grow spiritually. Yeah, put your hand up in the air. Yeah, I want to grow spiritually, okay? Now put your hand in the air if you're single. Okay, anybody? Some of y'all just had to define the relationship right there in front of somebody. Some of y'all are going to have some conversations after this. I'm just kidding. Uh, um, but the deal is, if you want to grow spiritually, if you're seeking that, how do you tell? What's the litmus test in your life? It's this, are you loving people more? Are you loving people more? 
the indicator for are you growing spiritually is are you loving people more? And one of the things about being someone who stands up here and and teaches God's word is that it works on you before it gets here, right? And so as I went throughout my weekend and I interacted with my wife and with my kids, I oftentimes was sitting there like, man, God, my love is not abounding more and more in the way that I say things and the things that I say and the manner that I'm acting. And it really challenged me to look at like, is my love abounding more and more for people? Because as we grow in love with God, it pushes us outwardly to love other people more. It will always do that. As we grow in our love for God, it will always push us outwardly to love people more. Now here's the deal. We have taken this concept of love in our society and we have dummied it down to love is simply just this emotion. And oftentimes what we're really saying is you only love someone or something if you're affirming towards it. That is essentially what we have, we have dialed love down to in our society, but love is much more complex than that. When we look at agape love, the love of Christ, the love of God, it's so much richer and deeper and better. And what Paul is saying here is that I want you to abound in this type of love, but it's not simply just this flippant thing of uh, empathizing and affirmation, but love is always found in the context of truth. Love is always found within the context of truth. So if you have love, you have to have truth present as well. And that is why Paul says, my prayer is that you would abound in love more and more with what? With all knowledge and all discernment. All knowledge and discernment. And do you know what truth is, right? This is what he's talking about. When he says knowledge, he is speaking of what is precise and what is correct. And when he's speaking about discernment, he's saying knowing the right thing to do in an ethical situation, right? Not just the right thing to do, but what God would have you do in an ethical situation. So when we look at these things, what that's pointing to, how do we know what God would want for us? How do we know what God thinks is precise, correct, and true? How do we know what he would have us do in situations? We look to his word. That is the standard, that is the truth, that God's word is what we look to for knowledge and discernment. And as you're growing in love, you're growing in knowledge. And as you're growing in knowledge, you're growing in love as well. You're growing in those things together. And I look at it like this. Here's like a personal example for me of how I needed someone to speak the truth to me because that showed me they actually loved me, all right? Um, I, I had uh, Tom Demers, who I've, I've told this story before. He's on our pastoral staff here. And one day I asked him, like, Tom, how do you think I can grow? What, what do you think would be, would be something as a leader I need to do a better job of? And, and he was kind of slow to say it, but he gave me all honest and true feedback and pointed me towards God's word. And in God's word, it talks about how you should be slow to anger, quick to listen, and slow to speak. And essentially what Pastor Tom told me was, Logan, you're often quick to speak. You often fly off and it's like you're quick to just get something out there. And as he told me that, like no one loves to hear what they need to do better at, right? But I needed him to tell me that truth because he loved me enough to tell me the truth. He loved me enough to tell me the truth because true love is always coupled with truth, all right? And this is where the rubber kind of hits the road in terms of Christianity. 
This is where the rubber kind of hits the road because, uh, you know, if love is not just affirmation, then if it's coupled with truth, then sometimes it's going to feel divisive, right? And God's word doesn't always align with what culture tells us, with what society says. And so sometimes this is where the rubber hits the road and it might not seem like love to somebody, but love is always pointing towards someone towards God's word. You know, one example I would give of that is um, I used to meet with a guy and he was growing spiritually. I really feel like God was doing a work in his life, but he had a, this some sin that he was choosing to live in, that he was choosing to live with his girlfriend and cohabitate. That's like the term that we would coin that. And as I looked at him and I thought, man, like as I'm trying to pour into this guy, I know that the Holy Spirit is guiding me to point him to the truth of God's word. And very clearly in scripture from Genesis uh, 2, 24, I believe it is, it talks about uh, that a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, right? That even if you didn't even look at just the biblical research, right? If you just looked at secular research about cohabitation, living together before you're married, you would see that that is a very hard thing on relationships. But undoubtedly, God's word points us and pushes us towards that something that would not be wise, right? Especially in terms of sexual purity. And so as I looked at this guy, I had to love him enough to tell him what was maybe hard to say, but what was true. I had to point him to the truth of God's word. Love and truth are always growing together, right? You can't have one without the other. They're growing together. And I also think about it on the flip side of this. I have to be careful that uh, as I'm growing in my knowledge of God, right, that if I'm just growing in knowledge and maybe I'm, uh, you know, you, you think about this and you, you think of someone or maybe it's you and you're growing in your understanding of, of God's word and you're, you're developing like a systematic theology of God's word and you, you're developing a hermeneutic that is strong and you understand the, the Aramaic and the Hebrew of the Old Testament and the Greek of the New Testament. You can tell the difference between general revelation and special revelation. You study eschatology and predestination, and these are all good things that you should know about and you should have knowledge of. But if in taking all of those things in and in growing our head knowledge, it never makes it to our heart, if that happens for me, what I'm acting like is a Pharisee. What I'm acting like is a Pharisee. And what did Jesus tell the Pharisees? That you are like whitewashed tombs, Right? You honor me with your words, but your hearts are far from me. And so in both of those situations, love and knowledge are growing together. That's why Paul is praying that for these people at Philippi, because he knows how important it is. As this continues on into verse 10, he says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And I would just encourage you, if you wanna like dive into something to study on your own, when we talk about for the day of Christ, we don't have time to cover uh, all of the detail of that, but essentially knowing this, that the day of Christ means that there will be a day when we are united with Christ in heaven and we are fully healed from our sinful flesh and we no longer battle against that, right? Because here on this earth, here in this life, we battle against our sinful flesh, but the ultimate victory over our 
our sin has already been won through what Jesus did on the cross for us. But here on this earth, we're battling against that sinful flesh that's in our lives. And um, if you're in here tonight and you're beaten down and you're kind of downtrodden, I was thinking about this today, like, man, God, I am tired sometimes. I am so sick of battling my sinful flesh and I am fatigued by it. Why sometimes I do what I don't want to do, it, it, it exhausts me, right? When I know I come up short of the standard of God, I am so thankful that there will be a day when I'm united with God in heaven and I'm no longer trapped by this sinful flesh, right? But luckily for us here on this earth, God gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to help grow us in our Christ likeness. That process is called sanctification. When we look at being sanctified, it means becoming more like Christ. And although here on this side of eternity, I won't be removed from my sinful flesh, I can still have victory and confidence that I will have victory over my sin because of the power of Christ working within me. We're going to talk about that some more in just a minute. But when we look at verse 10, it says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And I think about it like this. How do you know what to approve what is excellent? And I was, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I saw this analogy from Jared. But uh, if I take my, my wife uh, out on a date, okay, those are rare in these days. Sometimes we've got two kids and a third on the way. So um, sometimes that's a challenge, right? But if we go out, I know that my wife is not going to approve a Mexican villa, Jose Locos, Amigos Tacos, or any other Mexican restaurant in Springfield, much to my dismay, all right? It is a sad thing for me. Um, so if y'all ever want to grab Mexican food, just holler at me. I'll be down too. Um, but I know that my wife is not going to approve of eating at those places. Why do I know that? Because I spend time with my wife. Because I have gotten to know my wife through the years. I understand what she approves and what she doesn't approve of. And so the simple answer into how do you know what God approves and what he feels is excellent is you've got to spend time with him. You have to spend time with him in prayer, in reading God's word, in community. Do you know why we do a Tuesday night and why we do groups outside of that? It's because there is power in engaging with other believers who are on mission and pursuing the same thing as you. And so make no mistake about it, the enemy of your spiritual growth, we say this all the time, is isolation. It pains me so much and it's so sad when I see somebody who is going through a hard season remove themselves from community because that is exactly what Satan wants for them in the battle against evil. That is exactly what he wants is to isolate and remove them from community. And so you must always be on guard against that. Don't ever remove yourself from Christ following community even when it's hard. So if we're to approve what is excellent, we have to spend time with God. That means not just on a Tuesday that you're coming here and listening to a message. That's a great thing. We should gather together corporately as believers, but you've got to get in the word on your own. If you don't know where to start, start somewhere. If you don't know where to start, like that's why it matters to be in community so that people can help you. That's why discipleship matters, why you need somebody pouring into you and why, how it's, why it's so important that you are also pouring into other people, teaching them what knowledge is and teaching them discernment from God's standard and teaching them what is excellent based on God's word. That's why discipleship matters so much in the church. But the key is, is that you need to be spending time personally with the Lord. You cannot replace that time. You have to be spending time 
personally with the Lord. And it says, so to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And when I think of pure and blameless, really what this means is, is we have an understanding, right, that we still have struggles against our sin even after we come to Christ. We're still battling against that through the power of the Holy Spirit and God working in our lives. We're not just going to come to Christ and never sin again, right? We're still battling that. So to be pure and blameless doesn't mean that you're going to be absolutely perfect. But what it means is that there's a genuineness and a sincerity to your walk, that you are forsaking your old way of life and your sin. You're forsaking that, and you're confessing your sin. You're repenting from it, and you're turning from it. You're actively fighting against it. There's a genuineness and a sincerity to your walk with God. And I think about it like this. I have a a son named Cash who is just turned two years old. He absolutely loves fire trucks, and y'all can see a picture of him on the screen in just a second. But my man Cash, he, uh, he is like as, he's sweet, but he is also sometimes very sour, all right? And so while Cash is sweet, he is also a very ornery little guy sometimes. And so uh, my friend Ben, who's sitting over here in the front row, has a son named Hero, and they were over at our house the other night. And my man Cash takes a screwdriver and hits Hero on the head with it. It's a plastic screwdriver. It's like a toy set screwdriver. Don't worry, okay? But he hit him on the head with his screwdriver, and he, like, thinks it's funny, right? He's trying to, like, wrestle and play. And so we obviously get him, you know, and we're, we're being good parents, and it's like, Cash, you need to go say sorry to Hero, and, and you hurt him. You hurt, his, you hurt him physically, and that doesn't make him happy. We're trying to parent him, you know, and he's just like, mm-mm, mm-mm. And he's not going to do it. And it's like, okay, I'm, all right, you can give him a hug then, right? You go give him a hug and show him. And he's like, mm-mm. And he, that's our life right now. Is, and sometimes I found myself as like an adult, and it's like someone asked me to do something. It's like, mm-mm. I'm just going to copy him. Mm-mm. No. He does that. He's crazy. Um, and so eventually we talk him into going over and giving Hero a hug. And he kind of walks over to him, and he does this, and he goes, like that, and just shoulder checks my man Hero, and that was his hug. And it's like, at that point, you're so failing as a parent that it's just like, we'll move on to the next thing. Chalk that one up as an L. Uh, There was no genuineness and sincerity in my man Cash's uh, apology. Um, There there was no genuineness and sincerity. But when we're walking with Christ, it's a genuineness and a sincerity that, man, like, when we sin, God, man, I want to turn from that. I hate that. I don't want to be stuck here. And you're going to be in the midst of those struggles and those battles, and it feels like you can never escape, but it's continuing to choose to go to God and say, God, I need help with this. God, I don't want this in my life. God, help me move past this. God, rid this of my life, that there's a forsaking and a confessing of sin to other people in order to grow. That's what it means to live pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So we see this roadmap that Paul's starting to lay out for 9 and 10. He says, love that abound, knowledge and discernment. And then he talks about how we should approve what is excellent so that we can prepare ourselves for the day of Christ. We'll be blameless and holy. And in verse 11, he really gets to the heart of the matter, the the, the really like, man, this is why this works, right? In verse 11, he says this. He says that you would be filled with with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Do you know what it means to be filled with the fruit of righteousness? 
It means that you are demonstrating what Christ has done for you in your life, that there will be fruit from that. And it doesn't come from you. Jake just prayed about it as we stood up here, as he stood up here and closed. It's like, we will never be good enough. We can't work hard enough. There's not enough we can do. We can't go to church enough. We can't pray enough and read enough to to save ourselves, that we needed someone else to do that for us. And I love 1 Peter 3.18. This is a verse I've I've been memorizing and, and reflecting on. And what it says is that Christ suffered once for all of our sins. That Christ suffered once for all sin. That why? The righteous for the unrighteous. That we might be brought close to God. Jesus, who was uh, 100% perfect, right, never sinned, never failed, went to a cross willingly to pay the debt of our sin, a death that he did not deserve. He took on the debt and the weight of our sin in order to pay that. Why did he do that? Because he loves us, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? so that we might be brought close to God. And so if you're in here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're thinking, how can I give God glory in my life? If he's real, if he's out there, how do I give him glory? It starts with a relationship with Jesus. That is the foundation. You'll never graduate from that. That never gets old. That is the starting point of bringing God glory is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And then it is the power of Christ working in your life that brings God glory. I think we need to hear that again, that that Christ is working in you. I don't know what you're struggling with. Maybe it's crankiness. Maybe you're just grumpy. Maybe uh, you're struggling with pride and arrogance, and maybe you have a cynical heart and a critical spirit. Maybe you're struggling with uh, a pornography addiction or, or, or drugs or alcohol, something that somebody doesn't even know about. What you need to hear today is that if you have a relationship with Christ, he is working in your life and doing a good work in your heart. It's not an if, it's a for sure. Can I tell you that in this body right here, in this group of people right here, God is working in your lives. There's not a point in time as a Christ follower where God is not working in your life. He's gonna keep working in the hard seasons and the good seasons, when things aren't going your way, when things are going your way, God is working in your life. You have to continue to lean into him and trust him and allow the Holy Spirit to guide your life. But until you have a relationship with Christ, you're never gonna bring God glory. Why? Because God is holy He's perfect, he's good, he's without fault, and we bring our sin to the table. And our sin is what separates us from God. You know, I just sat down with a guy last week and I shared the gospel with him, and um, I love these opportunities to do that. Because as I sat there and I shared with him, you know what, when I, when I, when I meet with someone, I, I've yet to have an interaction yet where I ask someone, hey, have you ever, like, have you ever, um, like, have you done anything wrong? And they said, no. Almost everybody I meet with says, yeah, yeah. You know, I'd say, like, have you ever sinned even? And in the Midwest, especially people are like, yeah, I, I would definitely say that I've sinned. And as I interacted and I communicated with this guy and I shared the gospel with him, it was amazing to see that as he confessed his sin, as he admitted his sin, and he said he wanted to put his faith and trust in Jesus to make him the Lord of his life, I watched as a tangible weight left him, 
right? It was, you could see it in his countenance. Here it is, a, a guy who's 18 years old who has no reason to be teary-eyed in front of me, but as he has showed the gospel, right, and he's taught about the love of Christ, the same thing that we're talking about tonight, as he realizes that there is a God in heaven who sent his son to pay the price for our sin, I watched his physical continence change, and I watched tears come into his eyes as he went from death to life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. That is what happens when we enter into a relationship with Jesus. And that same spirit that has the, and that same uh, thing that has the power to save us, it has the power to continue destroying the sin that is in our lives. And as believers, that should give us confidence. And that should give us hope that in our lives, we can bring God glory. I think about a guy that I used to work with and, and I invited him to church one day and he told me, Man, I can't, he goes, ah, I can't come. The walls would fall down if I walked in. And I hate that there's people out there that think that. Here was a man that saw no path for him bringing God glory because he thought it was all on him. But what it's all on is what Jesus did on the cross for us and the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives that every single one of us here can bring God glory. And the foundation of that is a relationship with Jesus. And you know, I, I think when I, when I go to missions conference and, and we experience that here at High Street, it just gets my wheels turning and I get to thinking and, and I, I start processing what all that, uh, you know, the, everything that's going on in the world. And so often it feels like, man, to give God glory, I have to do something massive and huge in my life. But Jared talked about it last week, that so often giving God glory is about small obediences. And I grew up in a home that was an amazing home. I had the best home life growing up. My parents were uh, just two and are two amazing people and they loved me so well. My mom was following Christ when I was younger, but my dad was not. Now we were raised with Christian values, but my dad wasn't following Christ until I was in high school. But I remember, uh, I don't know what age I was, I was some point in elementary school and I remember a cold winter day in Missouri where it snowed. And back then, there ain't no live stream back then. Right? I'm not even sure we had dial-up internet at that point. But I remember there's no live stream. But my mom sat myself, my twin brother, my sister down, and we did a devotional. I couldn't tell you what we talked about. I couldn't tell you how long it was. I don't know if my mom knew what she was talking about or not. But I know that she opened up God's word. She taught us something in the best of her ability. I have no idea what she taught us, no idea what it was. But in that moment, my mom loved us enough to point us to the truth of God's word. And I still remember that at 31 years old, I remember my mom being obedient in that moment. And guess what? Small moments like that bring God glory. And so right now you might be dreaming and thinking about how can I give God glory in my life in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? What am I going to do for the kingdom of God? Well, he might be calling you to be obedient in something small tonight, tomorrow, next week that's going to give him glory. Every small obedience along the way gives God glory. 
And as a community, that's what we want to be about. People who have grace for one another and are pushing each other towards the love of Christ. And as we close, I want to ask you this question. If you were to die today, how sure are you that you would be united with God in heaven? Right, the day of Christ, right? How sure are you that you would have a, that you, you would make it to heaven? Why would God let you in? If you ask yourself that question, do you know what, how you can be sure? Admitting you're a sinner, believing that Jesus is the son of God and placing your faith in him, confessing him as the Lord of your life. And all that means is submitting over the authority of your life to him. I wanna ask you to bow your head.